the Recovery Daily Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Miller. I'm a stroke survivor and grateful recovering alcoholic. Today's topic is, is your hard work healthy? And interestingly enough, I was just talking to an individual on the phone and we were talking about putting work before your health and that kind of thing. So it's interesting because I had written all of my notes up early this morning. So uh, interesting that we were having that conversation. So how hard should I work before it's unhealthy? And this is where I think self-care meets perseverance. There's this idea that hard work is you know, important and hard work is how you get ahead and all that stuff. But there's a point that I have come to realize that, uh, especially over the past three months since I've had to walk away from my career, that hard work can be unhealthy. And in my situation, it became apparent, you know, physically apparent. I could no longer look at the computer screen anymore. But what happens a lot of times is that hard work just starts eating away the inside. You know, um, my brother worked so hard that he ended up having to go to the ER, you know, for, um, symptoms that he was having affiliated with stress. So what, how hard is too hard (laughs) of work before it becomes unhealthy? When I got sober, I went from not doing much of uh, what I had to do at all to having this, once I got sober, compulsion to do, to fit in more than what is healthy for me. And this compulsion is what has been so difficult for me over the past three months. Um, So what I relate it to is the decisions that I had to make in the beginning of sobriety that focused on self-care and and how uh, that relates to the decisions that I've had to make in stroke recovery that focus on self-care. When I stopped drinking, I had to really be cognizant of anything I was participating in and whether there was going to be alcohol there what my motivations were, and um, and play the tape forward and figure out how did I think that was going to go? You know, was I going to go to some sort of happy hour for work and just be miserable because everybody's drinking um, and I can't? Um, then I chose not to go. Not everybody who stops drinking chooses not to go. But that was what was healthy for me, uh, my mental health. And um, so I was making these kinds of decisions to put my health first. 
um, even when I wanted to do something, but I just knew I shouldn't. So in stroke recovery, it's, it's very much the same in that I, I want to do things, but I know that I really shouldn't, you know, like, um, I want to go to a fall festival, <laughs> but what am I going to feel like while I'm there? Well, I'm going to be miserable, um, right? Because I can't handle all that stimulation um, with my eyes. So to me, there's a correlation there where I have to prioritize my health. And what does this have to do with working hard? <laughs> well, in stroke recovery, I still have this compulsion to work um, and I don't have a job. <laughs> so I create a job. You know, I create these things to do. And it's so hard for me to sit still, much less lay down and close my eyes, you know, to take a nap. Um, because that's just not, my body wants to keep going and I need to fight it and tell it to rest. Um, so I've talked about this remarkable tablet that I have and I'm just a huge fan of it. Um, I always have this thing by my side. It's, it's like having a big gigantic notebook um, where I can, I can have lots of like different files and folders and all this, but it's the size of like a Kindle and you just use a pen and you write on it. It has no backlight and, um, it's digital in a way that I can export it to a computer if I wanted to. Um, it's really cool. Uh, so it attaches to Wi-Fi and stuff, but when I look at it, it's like looking at a piece of paper. So it really um, is much easier on my eyes. And so because I have this compulsion, I feel like it is a compulsion to, um, my brain just doesn't stop. Um, and that was one of the reasons why I liked to drink because it slowed my brain down. Um, often I think of the fact that there are a lot of alcoholics that I know that are really smart people and they use alcohol to slow them down. And I feel like that was something I was doing. I don't think I knew that when I was drinking in high school but I'm very cognizant of it um, as an adult that, or, or more so when I actually stopped drinking, I was like, man, I am constantly thinking of part-time jobs and all kinds of stuff. And, um, and I like that, you know, I like that about me, but it gets exhausting when my brain just keeps generating ideas and thoughts and I'm going to do this and that and and I'm still doing it when I don't have a job. Um, when I had a job, I was thinking of things that will um, help me grow in my career, you know, or, or be beneficial to the company. So um, I was always spitting out new projects and stuff. 
And so what do I do with that while I'm, while I'm, um, you know, on disability? Well, I'm still coming up with ideas, um, and I need to sift them through my, like, is this good for my brain or is it not good for my brain? Is it good for my eyes or not good for my eyes? So the point of my Remarkable is I can use it to write down all of my ideas, all of my feelings, all of my worries. I write down my podcast notes. Um, and so this allows me to have a healthy outlet so that I can continue to be me, you know, still be, I don't know, what an idea generator. I don't know what I am. Uh, but I can continue to do that in a way that doesn't hurt my head. Um, I... I know that when I was still working over the past two years and I was going through denial that, you know, it's not that bad, you know, my head doesn't hurt that bad, I can keep working, and um, I was actually playing down how hard I was working. I was working more hours than I don't think anybody knew uh, because I wanted to get shit done, sorry, stuff done. And, um, and I, and I was doing it over the past two years and, and not talking about how much my head was hurting as a result, because I didn't want to stop. Um, it's really, it's, it's, you would think it's kind of crazy behavior, but it's not. It's just, um, I'm going to talk a little bit about this. It's like, what is the difference between hard work, passion, and obsession? Um, and, and where was I at with all of that stuff? I can tell you that um, I, I talk about in the beginning episodes about this, these sensations that I had in my head when I was on digital devices and really anything, driving a car, any of the things that, that I had tried to do over the past two years that, that were painful for me. And so I had this just chronic feeling in my head like I had like a hundred rubber bands wrapped around my head and they were just squeezing it constantly. I don't, I honestly don't know how I was living like that. But I wasn't willing to stop, you know. My life was getting unmanageable, and I still wasn't willing to stop. It hurt. It physically hurt, and I wasn't willing to stop. And it's so relatable to when I needed to stop drinking. It, it was the same thing. Um, and so... Uh, what I was making um, progress in at work, I, I was willing to sacrifice my health for it. And over the past three months, um, I've constructed new goals. You know, I have this podcast and I have some other projects in the worst, works um, that I haven't really yet shared. It's a mystery. 
Um, but I'm excited about them. And I need to really constrain myself from doing things um, and force myself to nap and listen to my audible and rest my head. And I, I get to the point where um, I don't know if any of you remember, but I had one of the episodes at the very end, I said that I was creating a commercial for my podcast. And I thought, you know, I'll just do like one minute every day <laughs> towards this commercial because I have all the time in the world, right? Um, well, I realized after like maybe a, not a month, but a couple weeks that that was crazy. That was obsessive behavior. That was not hard work. It was not passion. It was obsessive behavior for me to think that I needed to do that. That's not the purpose of this podcast. This podcast is focused on my health and the health of anyone who's listening. So one of the things that I've done over the past three months is I started going to some support, some stroke support groups. And one of the stroke support groups that I went to since I was new, they allowed me to introduce myself and share a little bit about how I'm handling my recovery. And what I shared with them was this fact that I have a hard time slowing down and that I try to force myself to take a nap. Um, but what I also said is that I'm increasing, increasingly getting new hobbies. And one of them is sewing. I've never been a sewer. I actually, if mom is listening, she knows I was not a fan of going to the fabric store. I hated going to the fabric store when I was growing up. And to, and like two weeks ago, I voluntarily walked myself into a fabric store with my niece to pick out some fabric for a quilt that I'm sewing for a friend of mine. So um, I, I'm creating these new hobbies and I love it. I'm enjoying it. You know, this is a time in my life that um, as long as my pain in my head is managed, which I'm still working with my neurologist on that, but when it is managed, then I get to enjoy hobbies that I never would have even tried because I was too busy doing things that I would have been able to do if I could use my eyes, you know, like go running and all these things that I that are a little more physically active that I can't do now. So I shared about this in the stroke support group. And what they said was there was a neuropsychologist, psychiatrist, sorry, who was leading the meeting and she uh, polled everybody there. There was like, um, I think there was like tw 12 people. I can't remember if that was the one that had 30 people. Anyway, a lot of people. And she asked them, who here takes a nap every day? And probably 80% of the people there uh, raised their hand and said that they take a nap. 
So that's important to me because it makes me feel like that that's the importance of finding people like me who are going through things that I'm going through. It was the same uh, value that I got out of my sobriety program um, where people are saying, yeah, me too, me too, you know. So now I know um, I was having a hard time taking a nap the past uh, week. And this week I've been back on really um, trying harder, you know, to, to slow down. Um, if I have to meditate or, you know, just clear my mind, whatever you want to call it, I try harder to take that nap in the afternoons because I know that it's important for people with traumatic brain injuries, and that's what a stroke is. So uh, they also said, the neuropsychiatrist said, uh, psychologist. I don't know why I can't figure out which one it is. Anyway, um, she said sewing is not resting, Rachel. So only resting is resting. And we talked about that challenge of when you're napping or you're resting, you're thinking you're not doing anything. And I talked about that in a previous episode, that napping, resting, it is doing something. Even though it f doesn't feel like it, resting is doing something. Um, so I'm always thinking about, you know, when I lay down, I could be working. I could be doing this. You know, I could be working on a podcast. I could be writing a blog. You know, I enjoy creating new things for me to do, whether job or not. Uh, and I didn't know that until I had no job. And I'm still like trying to, you know, I'm making up shit for me to do. And, I, and I'm making it up like this is important, Rachel. This is important that you write this blog. This is important that you do uh, X, Y, Z. And um, because I love challenges and and so the popular term for this when we're working is uh, work-life balance, you know. But what I'm talking about is more of obsessive thinking and how it relates to work-life balance because there's a difference between being passionate and obsessive thinking. Passion comes off as positive and obsessive comes off as negative. Passion enriches your life while obsession steals from your life, steals you away from your life. Passion is a commitment, but obsession can get you committed. You know, by that I mean it can make you feel crazy. Um, and I know that all too well. Um, other people, uh, other people don't get it. When you get into that obsessive thinking, they don't understand why 
you're so hyper focused on something and they think you're crazy, you know, they'll they'll say, uh, why don't you just take a break, you know, but when somebody is passionate about something, you don't get that kind of response. And I think what is missing in obsessive thinking as opposed to passion is keeping your values in mind. You know, uh, so I had a, an episode uh, that included some stuff about values and um, all of these terms about work-life balance, hard work, passion versus obsession, they really depend on whether or not you're prioritizing your values. So I went back to uh, the episode on values, and um, and I I need to know when my hard work and my passion become an unhealthy obsession because they don't support my values. So I went back to look at what what are my values. You know, I mean. It, I, I, I was pretty sure I knew what they were, but I had to go back and check. And if I have to go back and check, then that means I'm not, um, I'm not focused on them enough. So my values, just to recap from the other episode, my values are communication, health, and learning. And why are these important to me? How do I uphold these? So uh, communication, uh, this is something that I learned in my sobriety to always share with another human being um, what's going on with me. Um, Whether it's a deep, dark secret or not a deep, dark secret. If it's just an ankle biter, I need to talk about it. And I was the kind of person when I was drinking that um, I didn't always used to be this way, but towards the end of my drinking, I shut down entirely. I didn't share with other people anything because I got to the point where I didn't think anybody understood what was going on. I felt like I was unique. You know, I talk about that all the time. So I value communication in that way, but also in the way that I think it's crucial that I listen to others with genuine interest. That doesn't mean I ask somebody how they're doing, and while they're talking to me, I'm jotting, you know, I'm, I'm jotting down what I need to do that day. Or um, I'm scribbling a picture or I'm cleaning my house, you know, if I'm on the phone. Like, I need to listen to others with genuine interest and be engaged. You know, active listening is what they call it in the professional world. And then um, my second value is health and taking care of my the one and only body that I've got in this lifetime. And I spent the first half of my life um, killing this body that I had, doing every possible bit of damage that I could 
Um, and somehow this body that we're given is so strong and it wants to live, but if we try hard enough, we can kill it. And, um, and that's what I was doing when I was drinking. I was killing it. I was slowly committing suicide. That's what I was doing. And, um, and then lastly, my, uh, my third value is learning. It's so important to me to never stop seeking knowledge and learning new things. And, and I really think that this value is one of the things that drives um, my hard work. But I have to be careful because it also will get me in trouble when it turns into obsessive thinking. So how do I behave today to align with my values? Um, the episode on values that I did was about how we create boundaries with other people to support our values and self-respect. I was talking about assertiveness and upholding values by uh, setting interpersonal boundaries. But what about setting uh, boundaries with myself, intrapersonal boundaries? Um, in recovery, uh, in sobriety, I'm always setting boundaries, you know? Um, so some of those boundaries are, um, I can't drink, obvious, that's an obvious one. Uh, for me, I can't smoke. Smoking became a part of my sobriety program um, a couple years later. I was vaping when I got sober, but um, after it, I waited at least a year to, to stop vaping um, because I could only handle one thing at a time, and, and you're only supposed to handle one thing at a time. So um, when I quit drinking, I did not quit smoking. I did not quit eating candy. I did not quit drinking soda. I didn't quit anything um, other than quit drinking because um, that's how much I needed to focus on that one thing. So I had that one boundary. And then as I remained sober and I started to feel a little more comfortable living each day without alcohol, then I was able to not smoke. And um, some of my other boundaries are um, no mind-altering drugs, no lying, no resentments. You know, if I start feeling pissed off at somebody, then I need to take action. And I talk about in other episodes how I do that. And no secrets, and that goes back to my communication uh, value. In sobriety, I know how to put my values first because I've been practicing it for seven years. And I'm just starting out with how to set intrapersonal boundaries post-stroke. So if I compare and relate back to the boundaries I set for sobriety, I remember it was frustrating. I remember I kept looking for loopholes. I, I remember trying to figure out how 
can I escape, you know, um, for a little bit, but still remain sober, you know, still, still, it's not my fault or something like that. You know, an example is I had to go to a periodontist and, uh, they were going to give me laughing gas. And when they said they were going to give me laughing gas, I was elated in a in a unhealthy way. I was super excited that they were going to give me laughing gas and it was a loophole. I thought I found the loophole. Well, you know what I did? I called my sponsor from the dental chair. Can you believe that? And I called her and I said um, they want to give me laughing gas because they're going to do this treatment on my teeth. And I'm afraid because I got excited when they said they were going to give me laughing gas. And she didn't give me, she didn't tell me what to do. She said, go with what you think you should do, you know? And it's not that, you know, I didn't get off the phone like, yeah, thanks for nothing. It was actually what I needed to hear. I needed to hear like uh, what I heard from her, even though this is not what she said. I heard, Rachel, you know what the right answer is, you know? And the fact that I reached out to her to tell her, you know, tell on myself, that was a secret. That was a secret. It could have it could have remained a secret, but I knew I d it didn't feel good that I was not being honest. That's what it felt like, and, and I'm only honest now. And so I had to call her and tell, I had to call and tell somebody right away. And that's what I did. I, I asked the dentist if she could excuse me for a minute, and, and she did. It was, it, you know, you'd think that would be really uncomfortable, but I just did it. Um, and I did it anyway, and it was successful because I ended up getting, uh, they numbed my mouth instead, and everything went fine, and I did not um, take advantage of that loophole. Do I regret it? No, <laughs> I don't regret it. I don't regret it. I know that I would have liked it, and that's why I don't regret it. Um I've also thought of loopholes of having someone blow pot in my face because uh, because I didn't smoke it, you know what I mean? Um, but I have never had somebody do that. I've also had many opportunities to have liquor-drenched desserts, and I, uh, I always, I don't even want to know. I, I ask, is there liquor in this? And I don't even want to ask. I want to just eat it, you know, and find out later and be like, oh, I didn't know there was alcohol in this. But I know that that's not the right thing, you know. Ugh, that daggone conscious, I, I, I have it now. <laughs> um, so none of, none of these loopholes that I, that I thought of were excusable. And so today I, I think this. This is what... This is what, I don't know if loopholes is the right word, but this is the kind of like setting boundaries for myself. And I'm like, uh, you know, it would be okay if I just, 
go on Amazon for just a minute. You know, I need some Drano or something because can you imagine like not going shopping in a store or on Amazon for three months? It just gets like, I don't know. I need my fix. I'm not a, a shopaholic, if that's what you're thinking. But I, it's just, it's enjoyable, you know, and I want to do it. And I have to tell myself, you know, no, my boyfriend will pick up Drano at the store the next time he goes. Um, another thing is, like, I, <clears throat> I absolutely love looking at houses for sale. And... I want so badly to like look what's on the market these days. We were thinking about moving down to Lake of the Woods uh, last year, and we ended up um, not doing it for various reasons, but I really enjoyed looking at the houses down there. It's so pretty, and I've been dying to go online and look at the houses, and I can't. And so I have set a boundary for myself. And if I'm being totally honest, I was this close to logging on to Redfin and looking at houses at Lake of the Woods today. And I said out loud to myself, no, Rachel, you cannot do that. Like I said it out loud to myself like I was a child and I didn't do it. Um, I also sometimes want to turn voiceover off on my phone because it it's there's a learning curve as I learn voiceover. And if I really want to search something real quick or something like that, I have this inclination to turn voiceover off and just do it really quick. And um, and I can't do that. So, I have a lot of these boundaries that I set up, and um, and this is prob problematic when I don't set these boundaries, and I'm like, all right, just a second, let me just see what Halloween decorations are out there right now at Spirit Halloween or something like that, because just... Ha allowing myself to look at digital devices for just a minute um, hurts my head. It will make me nauseous for an hour. If I look for a minute, I'm nauseous for an hour. And um, doing something like it, what it'll lead to is me thinking, well, how about I create a commercial for my podcast? You know, like what I did uh, or what I started to do um, a month ago or however long ago that was, it becomes obsessive, you know. Um, it's, I mean, I'm going to say this, and, and maybe people who, who are suffering from alcoholism wouldn't uh, like the fact that I'm comparing the two, but I'm going to do it anyway because I can do whatever I want. <laughs> that is that when, you know, you take, when you take alcohol away and you're an alcoholic, um, you can't just have one or you'll start drinking again. It's like you quit smoking. You can't just have one. You'll start smoking again. 
Well, I have found that if I have leeway with myself and allow myself to go online to do this or that, I start allowing myself to go online more and more and more. And then I end up feeling sick. And it's just not okay. I mean, I apologize for making that comparison to anybody who thinks it's ridiculous. But you get what I'm saying. Like, I need to set a boundary. A boundary is not, you know, here, just have a little. It's no, you can't do that. Um, And so making excuses can grow into um, putting myself into uh, a situation where I'm not, um, I'm not focused on my values. And so this podcast, for example, um, I work hard at it. I do work hard at it. Um, Those of you who have been listening since day one know that I have not missed a single day. And there has been, and this is three months, I think we're over three months now that I've done it uh, every day. And, um, and people have asked me, like, how do you have something to talk about every day? Well, because I live every day, you know, there's something on my mind every day, because recovery is every day. You know, I, I am battling every day, um, whether it's sobriety, whether it's keeping my freaking eyes off of the computer or a phone or all of the things that I can't do. Um, It's a battle every day for me to put my health first. And um, so hard work today is detrimental for me. Even doing a little bit of work isn't good for me. So I need to be sure that, uh, that this podcast, the purpose of it remains to be um, to support my health. And it just so happens that a benefit of it is that I help others. The moment that it becomes an obsession rather than a passion means that I have to pause and realign myself. Um, I love my passion to work hard, but I always need to be cognizant of when hard work becomes unhealthy. And that's more so than ever now because my head starts hurting even when I, when I take it easy. Um, and when I... When I was working, um, when I first got sober, I was busy at work. I had a lot of things to do, you know? I had a lot of people depending on me. But what other people had to tell me who cared about me and wanted me to get sober was that there is nothing in the world that is more important than my health. And that's why my health is one of my values, because I know that today. 
And just like, just like that, when I had to leave my career that I loved, I was busy. I had a lot of things that I was, you know, managing. And there, you know, and I I didn't want to walk away. I, I can't even tell you how much that felt like it was wrong for me to walk away. You know, I was scared. I was scared that I wasn't going to have a job. I mean, I live for my job. What am I doing not having a job? You know, I was terrified. But I knew that I couldn't keep going. Nothing's going to change unless something changes. And I probably would have ended up back in the hospital if I didn't walk away. And it's just, there's so many parallels between this, this desire to work hard and not stop to get sober and to work hard and not stop to recover from a stroke. I didn't want to do either of them until I had to. So if you classify yourself as a hard worker, take a moment today to assess if your hard work is aligned with your values. You know, if you don't know what your values are, then take another minute and think of three things that you absolutely put first in your life. And if those three things align with the thing that you're working so hard at, then great. Mine does now. I'm in recovery and my values are communication, which I'm doing through the podcast, um, my health, which is what the podcast is about, and learning, which I do every day researching for the podcast. So my life is revolving around my values right now. Are yours, you know, are you working hard at your values or are you working hard at something that has nothing to do with your values. If you if you are not focused on your values, then you probably need to realign. You know, you probably need to pause and figure it out. Stop what you're doing and just figure it out. Because all you have to do once you figure it, figure it out is the next right thing. And the next right thing doesn't have to be a huge thing. The next right thing doesn't mean that, you know, you have to sell your soul or anything like that. The next right thing is pick up the phone and call somebody because you need someone. You need to talk to somebody, you know, is the next right thing. I've got a lot of things bothering me. I need to make a doctor's appointment, you know, just the next right thing that aligns with your values. So 
that's enough lecturing. I felt like that today was a lecture. Yeah. So anyway, um, it was good for me. You know, whenever I'm lecturing, I'm actually telling myself these things. So I'm not lecturing you. I'm trying to get myself through the day to the next one. So thanks for listening and I'll talk to you tomorrow.